Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Ahead on Fast, it is the talk of the tape. Elon Musk's unsolicited takeover bid for Twitter, a bid littered with his 420 weed references. We've got all the palace intrigue covered from Musk's brewing battle with the board to the potential for other bidders to step in. To a look inside the Elon empire, breaking down all the other companies and ventures that Musk already has besides his crown jewel, Tesla. And of course, we'll break down the day's action from big moves higher by Nike and Caterpillar to the message the slide in Taiwan Semi may be sending to the markets. But we begin with Twitter, and right now, as we come on the air, an all-hands-on meeting is starting at company headquarters. Management, along with rank-and-file, gathering to digest a wild day. Today's move by uh, Musk to buy Twitter, just the latest move in the chess game between the social media company and the world's richest man. A TED Talk in the middle of the day, uh, Musk laid out his reasons for bidding $43 billion for what he calls the de facto town square. This is not a, a, a way to sort of make money, you know. I think this is, it's just that I think this is, um, this could, my, my strong intuitive sense is that uh, having a public platform that is maximally trusted um, and, 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 and broadly inclusive um, is extremely important to the future of civilization. Musk did acknowledge that he might not actually be successful in his bid. Twitter's board saying it is evaluating the offer, but that it is preparing to adopt a poison pill to ward off Musk if needed. The stock closing down over a percent and a half, though it's trading higher in the after-hour session. So what's the next move? Karen, what's, what's your take on this whole fascinating situation? It's crazy, but my take is that a poison pill might be enough because it's a Delaware company. It might be enough cover for the company to just say no. Just say no is a valid defense. Courts in Delaware don't like to get involved and overrule what the board is saying. So if I were the board, it's, it's a, sort of a high gamble because they're going to be shareholders really pissed at you if Elon says, all right, well, they're not negotiating with me. I'm done. I'm out of here and I'm selling my stock. Clearly, the stock will trade materially lower, not just because you have a 9.2 percent seller, but because you also have a company that doesn't seem to want to sell. So um, I get why it's trading well below that offer. You, I mean, it's interesting. He is the richest man in the world, but he's kind of seen as a joker of a buyer. That's sort of ironic. Right. Um, as, a, as a risk arb, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't play it because I feel like you never know what he's going to do. But I do think he could do it if he wants to do it. But will he change his mind tomorrow? I don't know. And if he changes his mind tomorrow, I think there's going to be a lot of really frustrated shareholders. I think this is Twitter shareholders owe a great degree of gratitude to Elon Musk, especially because I don't see any major strategic or media companies stepping up to compete with this. This is the problem. He walks away. He walks away. Uh, And this is a company also that I think there's been some frustration over the years. There's been a bit of activism around Jack Dorsey and uh, Elliott management and whatnot, but largely a company that's been left to do whatever they want to do. And that includes how they are ruling censorship on the internet and I think that's something else so uh, the, you know, the model that he at least seems to be endorsing which is a subscription model is is one that at least right now looks to be a very interesting alternative and if you look at the valuation of where at least the stock would be at the noted 50 
420, six days away from 420, by the way, um, you know, that puts the company at you know, six times sales, uh, you know, 28, 27 times EBITDA, pretty fairly valued relative to where the street is right now. Yeah, I'd just say he's a bit of a bully here. He's kind of punching down. This is a weak management. It's a weak board. They've been pushed around for an awful long time, you know, really going back to what you just mentioned with Elliot here. And, you know, like, listen, he didn't really articulate a great plan at any time over the last couple of weeks why this is a great business, why it's undervalued. When, you know, when activists come into a story, they kind of lay that out for the other shareholders. And then that's how they try to kind of garner some interest in it. And I think this is really about some sort of like techno utopian, libertarian, free speechy sort of thing or whatever. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of stuff regarding the SEC and some of the implications about his prior tweeting. You know what I mean? So I really do think he's going to lose interest. I think he's going to move on. I don't think that a lot of shareholders think that this is a particularly useful um, exercise. Um, but I do think that there probably should be some, some strategic interest. We've talked about this for a long time. As we've seen the market caps of some of their competitors, we've seen the ad business within Amazon dwarf that of Twitter. You know what I mean? The, this company, they're not growing their Base. They don't monetize it. It's just it's ill. It's just poorly run, and it should be part so, of a larger platform. Can I ask a? Qu- I don't know why I yes, asked. You can, if I can ask the question because I want to ask the question can. anyway. And the question <laughs> no here shareholder is, vote here. Uh, you, you said that Elon Musk hasn't offered anything in terms of what he could do better. Has management though? Well, I mean, isn't that the frustration? Well, well, he has offered fifty four twenty. But he at least he's offered right, but, but Tim just said the sub, so subscriptions. Okay, so they just yeah. launched a subscription Twitter service, uh, Twitter yeah. Blue. Okay, yeah. they have 330 million monthly active users. I guarantee you, it's low single digit percentage that are actually paying for it. Okay, so if you get rid of this thing that has the potential to be exponential, look at Facebook. Look at Google over the last 15 years, how their ad businesses have yeah. grown. Look at the secular shift towards online ads. You literally would be killing the golden goose. Well, that's it. We don't know what's going to happen to this business yeah. once you go to a sub model. But yeah. but again, and back to your it gets point smaller. Though, to, very simply, to be yeah, frank. Well, yeah. And, and product development gets worse. I, I, I don't think Amazon is an option, though. I don't think regulator, the regulators would get, let anything well, close to that snap? happen. What, I, you know, Evan Spiegel nah, thought to I be think, a great... They have the same uh, revenue base right now, and Snap's revenue growth is nearly 2x that of Twitter right now. Mm-hmm. They're going to be at and tra- about and, five and, and, and a half The political issue, though, of running the world's town square, if that's... Well, Evan probably doesn't want to do that. Evan probably doesn't want to do that. Um, Guy, what's your take here? There's so many fascinating sub-stories. For example, I guess, and please tweet at me if I'm incorrect here, but I think (laughs) Elon Musk hired Morgan Stanley as his advisor. Uh, I think Twitter hired Goldman Sachs as their advisor. What I find really sort of interesting, and maybe this shows the system works, I don't know, but I think Goldman has a sell rating on the stock Mm -hmm. and a $30 price target. So if they're advising, if they're advising Twitter, like, hey, we think it's a thirty-dollar stock, take the money and run at fifty-four twenties, people. It's it's so crazy. I'll tell you this: into earnings, I think the stock vacillates between forty-five and fifty-five. We actually said this in his first foray in. So by definition, I think you buy the stock here. Elon Musk is a genius. I think that most people here will agree with that general notion that he's a very smart individual and has a knack for for seeing the possibility in, in things that other people don't. Karen and I were discussing about I was discussing reusable rockets. Nobody thought of that before, apparently. Who doesn't? <laughs> um, and that was a genius idea. I mean, should we just say Elon Musk can probably figure this out, Tim? 
He probably well, has a couple of good ideas under his hat. Well, he's certainly going to try and he's certainly going to agitate and he's certainly going to push a lot faster. This is a company that doesn't seem to really care. It's a company that I think for investors, again, yes, they've had a whole bunch of initiatives to monetize. And we heard this at an investor day. And I'll say this for like the fifth time in the last two months. That bothers me. What I heard from this company uh, about about a year ago where they were going to be doubling revenues, where they're going to get to 320 uh, on on their their MAUs, and they're not even close. And, and to me, I don't know where they were making those statements from because we haven't really seen anything from a product perspective to get them there. So, I think that we're talking about two different things. Elon doesn't seem to care very much how profitable he can make it or not. He right. seems to want to control yes. the discourse, right? right. And that's, that's not been... But, but maybe, I mean, I think that that's sort of been his notion. All, I, I, I'm maybe extrapolating a little bit too much, but in terms of thinking the best about the best product possible, right? The right. best product possible. For and the, the and they will come. Follow, and and they the will rest come. will follow. Right. And the rest will follow economically. But didn't he say he doesn't care about the economics? Which I actually think would make it hard to raise other funds. Right. Knowing, hey, this but guy, the, come what, on. What do you think, about the what do you think yeah. DAUs or MAUs go to if this goes to a subscription model? Down. You, you sa- down. down it a becomes lot. a worse a product. I think it becomes wonkier. The open APIs, it becomes more manipulable, in my opinion. I think some of the issues that people have left Twitter over the last five years or so is because of all those trust and safety issues. You're going to open it up, and it's going to be a free-for-all. And, you know, I'll just say this. The, the one thing that if you think uh, Musk is a genius, he's been a business genius. He had so many naysayers about Tesla and it mm-hmm. became a $1 trillion market cap yeah. company. And that's fine. But if you're a Tesla shareholder and he wants to do all this, and he's going to spend all this time, then do it with Tesla's money. You know why? Because he's going to actually have to lever up his holdings. He's going to borrow against his holdings. We know that there's been stories about margin calls over the years that puts him in a really tight spot in a bear market or if this stock has any sort of issues. So if you're a Tesla shareholder, you say, okay, I buy into you. That's why I'm here. Let him do so the Adam do Aaron model. Do it. Well, do it out of Tesla. I mean, like, well, why would you let so have him? Tesla buy Twitter? Correct. Because he's got to lever his, his stake anywhere to buy it. And you run the risk if you're a shareholder because there, there's so much key man risk I, with him anyway. I hear what you're saying, because there have been plenty of tales over the years of when he was getting squeezed on his own personal loans. But uh, one, I think he's in a very different place. But is there any strategic value there? I mean, and, and I, I and, and is there is there ability from well, a military perspective this, to go after this is kind of meta. I, I was on a Twitter space today. Like that Facebook was, Meta? Well, no. This was okay. kind of Meta. It, it was on a Twitter space listening to a bunch of smart people. One guy, Bored Elon Musk, a great follow on Twitter, and they were all talking about this. And I think Bored Elon said he's if he buys this thing, he's actually thinking 20 years out. He's thinking about tweets banging around on satellites and some point in the future out in the universe. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. Um, but I thought that was kind of interesting, too. He probably has a broader master plan rather than just trolling all of us. By the way, there might be another bit in the work. Um, the New York Post is reporting that Toma Bravo is working Ooh. on a possible bid for Twitter, which can really make things a little bit juicier, Karen. Um, so, so maybe this does actually put Twitter in play. I mean, the stock doesn't necessarily trade as if no. there's going to be a lot coming out bidding for, for it. It doesn't. I mean, it's a private equity bidder. It's, it's mm-hmm. a pretty big check. I don't know if they would be a consortium. I have no idea. But... Um, it's a it's a tough model for private equity, right? You got to really feel good about what you can do with it, which the company hasn't been able to do, and you got to you got to do at least fifty four twenty because if Elon can really pay that, then the board has to accept that bid instead of accepting one that's lower. Right. 
Um, our next guest says if a Twitter takeover does happen, there are only two ways it can shake out. Let's bring in Fast Money friend Packy McCormick of Not Boring Capital to get his take. Um, what are the two scenarios, Packy? So I, I think there is a couple of interesting scenarios here. One, I mean, I have to say it, there's the, you know, the potential kind of decentralization scenario if he, if he takes it uh, private. I think that you have a kind of a moderation kind of uh, dynamite on your hands if you're Elon Musk. And I, even if he's the world's most benevolent dictator, having one person control the discourse, I don't even think he would want that. And so really interesting to see uh, what he does there. Um, and on the other side, I mean, what happens when when Elon, you know, if he doesn't do that and he is kind of running uh, this company uh, as as a private owner of Twitter? I think he actually uh, leans into the decentralization piece a little bit here, but that might be wishful thinking on on my part. On my part. Decentral. That's interesting because that's that was sort of one of Mark Cuban's ideas that he had on Twitter. Um, a decentralized group of supporters for the current thing will create a DAO to buy Twitter. Token holders will get to vote on what's trending and who gets verified. Um, so that that is out there as well. Do you think he's thinking that far out? I mean, could that would be a fundamental change for Twitter and its structure, and it could it have huge implications for how other social media networks are run. So this is, I mean, this is Elon we're talking about. So I think I do think he's thinking very far out. I think one of the things that you're buying, if you're buying Twitter, is this asset where the core user base, like while growth hasn't been there and while it hasn't been able to get outside of those kind of 300 MDAOs, 300 million MDAOs, the core base is not going anywhere anytime soon. And particularly if you don't care about the economics like Elon doesn't, you have a long time to experiment I think that you know Twitter already had Blue Sky in the works. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of Web three approaches to try to take down Twitter with a more decentralized approach to content moderation, to ownership, to governance, to all of those different things. Twitter is Twitter, though, and I, I think it's going to be really hard to get people to do something very similar to what they do on Twitter on something else. So I think if you're Elon, maybe you have the two core products kind of running uh, in parallel. You have Twitter Blue, the regular one, and you have Twitter DAO or decentralized Twitter that you're experimenting with a la Blue Sky that they already had in the works. But I do think content moderation is one of these big, hairy problems that not a single person, including Elon Musk, wants to put on their own shoulders and that nobody has solved perfectly yet. Uh, and so I do think it's an interesting approach to kind of put that back in the hands of the community. You'd obviously need to build uh, a lot of processes and product around that. But I, I think it's inevitable at some point that the dialogue is kind of decentrally owned and moderated. Yeah, so Packy, I mean, obviously you're a thought leader here in Web3 and, you know, there's a lot of notion that that is the future of these sorts of platforms going forward, that they will be decentralized. But how do you take a platform that's been around for almost 15 years that has a couple hundred million users? It's not really growing here and it's not really attracting, you know what I mean, the sort of, um, I, I, like, listen, if it's all about shared ownership in Web3 going forward, I don't know how you take something that's really concentrated and de decentralized and break it down and make it something that... The they're going to have the incentives to kind of build and build the products that you want going forward. I, and I know that's kind of a bit of a mess here, but it just seems like he doesn't care about Web3 and it doesn't seem like that's a likely sort of thing. He cares about the content moderation piece, though. And so maybe he puts that on his own shoulders. I haven't heard a better plan from him on the content moderation side. I think he's experimental. I think he's he's open to playing with it. He's talked about using Dogecoin on Mars, so it's not like he's completely opposed. Um, and obviously, this is a plan that, that Jack had in the works. Do I think it happens in the next two years? Probably not. Does it need to be incredibly, incredibly seamless and baked in? Absolutely. I mean, the other alternative here is that uh, he opens it back up in a non-Web3 way and people can build uh, 
you know, build their own user interfaces on top of it. And Twitter kind of goes back to the old open API. I heard your concerns there, and I think that's valid. But when you have no kind of economic worries about what you want to do with this, but you care deeply about the future of humanity, and uh, you know, if you if you believe that the discourse that uh, humans have with each other is an important piece of that. I think you can get pretty experimental if you're willing to throw 30 to 40 billion dollars down the drain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you said that well, Packy. Um, good to see you as always, Packy McCormick. Uh, Guy, what, what's your what's your? I mean, it's true. If it's private, any private company has a little bit more of a leash to try things out, particularly when you don't care if it turns a profit. Agreed. But if the future of humanity rests on the shoulders of the viability of Twitter, I think we're all screwed. I mean, I'll just throw that out there, number one. But, you know, we're tasked with trying to figure out how to trade the stock. And, you know, again, I think at these levels, there's going to be there are more headlines to come. And I think the next headline will be more bullish than bearish. So I think you buy it here and sell it at 55. It's somewhat simplistic, but it's worked over the last couple of weeks. It's a very pithy and amusing thing to say that if the you know, future humanity rests on Twitter's shoulders, we're all screwed. That's absolutely true. But I think the broader point here is that social media in general is a way of communicating and a way of disseminating information. That is going to be the way of the future. And so if we can't figure out how to make that an open discourse that we can trust, then we are screwed. And I think that is true. And so could this actually just be his playground? This is what he can buy. This is what was up for sale, potentially. Um, could this be his way of, of figuring that problem out? He likes to figure out big problems and find solutions, Tim. Well, I, I'd look at it from the perspective of what's also not working out there. I mean, look at Facebook. Facebook is not working. Right. And, and this, this is, you know, I, I think there's been an indictment out there um, for the companies. And 3.0 is very different from the world that, that Facebook lives in now. I'm sorry. They may talk about meta. They may call themselves meta. Um, that's not the world they're in. So um, I, I, I do think that, first of all, you could have two or three. You could have an ad plus. You could have a subscription model. You could have a decentralization and you could try to do all the things. And we've seen how rabid um, there are parts of both the social media space, uh, the, the meme world, uh, you know, and, and look. And, and Elon's following. Uh, and I do think that, uh, back to Guy's point on the stock, which is that it, we touched lows on the stock really because I, I, I think there was no sense of what was going to drive it. The fact is, there is something going on here. And a year ago, this was a $65 stock with Elon nowhere in sight and people believing that they were actually beginning to monetize. So um, to me, I think this is a stock that's in play. All right. Stick around. Later on, we're going to take a look inside Elon's empire. How just how stretched will Musk be if he adds Twitter to his portfolio? More on that ahead. But first, another day, another dollar. The dollar stocks ringing up fresh highs. Should you add these names to your shopping cart? Fast Money back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the dollar store surging to yet another set of all-time highs. Dollar Gen, Dollar Tree, both jumping today, scoring new records. Guy, you added me on Twitter about this, saying, just saying, because you've been talking about this for a long time. I didn't mean to. I apologize. I don't, you know, it doesn't seem like a nice thing to do. But the point is, you know, we've been on this theme for a while now, and I think it's, but I did it. It speaks to the environment that we find ourselves in. By the way, it's not just Dollar Gen, Dollar Tree. Look at Walmart. I want to say today or yesterday, Walmart, an all-time high. So it makes you wonder, what environment are we in and what are we going into? Regardless of the answer, I think it works for both Dollar Gen, Dollar Tree, and throw Walmart in there as well. People will knock the dollar stores on valuation. I get it. Maybe you don't have the underlying revenue and EPS growth to back it up. But I got to tell you something. It feels as though we're in the sweet spot. Yes, I said it for those names. and I think they continue to grind higher. 
Yeah, people were spending in the month of March, according to retail sales. They're spending on gas, mostly. I mean, that was most of the increase. That's the environment we're in. Yeah, I, I got to, first of all, Guy, kudos to you. You've been on this for, I don't know how many points, for so long. I'm surprised at how well they're doing in this environment when you think, you know, well, now they're a dollar and a quarter, I guess, stores, right. not dollar stores, but how pressed they must be on the margin. And so for me, I come to somewhere like Walmart, I know with Tim, um, and a Target. But, I mean, that, those are great charts. You didn't, I don't think you added me on those, Guy, but they're really good. Uh, you know, to me, uh, th- this is the environment they're going to continue to shine. It's happened every single time we've seen this, especially when, when consumer sentiment has deteriorated and we've seen, we have never seen this type of inflation. Um, and, and this is, you know, going to grow 20%, but I think they're actually backing into that 36 to 37% gross margin that they had talked about. This $1.25 store thing, which you know, frustrated the heck out of me when I first walked into it. I mean, you know, look, I, I like handing my kids five bucks, walk around, pick up five things. They're coming back with four. They're not happy. Um, but but I, I still think that there's plenty of margin. They just raised prices 25% across yeah. the board. Okay, let's let's do that math. It's not difficult. Uh, stock trades at about 20 times. At, you know, roughly 2023, it's $185 stock. It's largely there. It should trade through that multiple. I'll tell you, man, you know, I saw that consumer confidence number today. It was a little bit surprising here, and we're going to see a lot of wonky data. It's going to move around a little bit. But I just go back to Home Depot. That is the granddaddy of them all. And I know that this is a different segment, but we spent so much time talking about this housing trade and the refurb trade and all this. This stock is down 28% from just a few months ago. It's trading very near 52-week lows. It looks really heavy. This is a stock that trades at a market multiple. When's the last time you've been able to get Home Depot at a market multiple? It really feels like we're on the precipice of some really big estimate cuts going forward for some of these stocks. And maybe they're discounting it. I don't know. I'm just saying in general. But retail seems like a really tough spot. I know we're not going to get a lot of those earnings until next month as we get through the bulk of just kind of banks. But what the banks had to say was not great about consumer credit. And you've got to think that the lag as you get to some of these other retailers is happening in the next few months. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Get ready to lace them up. Shares of Nike jumping. We'll hit the options pits for what's next for Nike. Plus, choppy waters on Wall Street. What does this week's volatility mean as we head into the heart of earnings season? We've got the answers. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Major indices losing steam at the end of the day. The S&P closing down more than a percent, wrapping up its second down week in a row. The Nasdaq was down more than 2% today. And take a look at the losses in big tech. Apple down more than 3% today, cutting $83 billion from its market cap. The moves come at the end of a holiday-shortened week. That saw record high inflation and the start of Q1 earnings season. So is this just the start of more pain to come? We've had this, I mean, there's so many more earnings next week, Karen. Mm -hmm. So many more sort of glimpses into the economy and the consumer. Right. Well, starting, I don't know if we talk about banks now or when, but yeah. I think that... Get going. Let's go. Uh, okay, let's up. do it. What do you got? So I think that we're starting to see this thing where they trade down on the same news every day, mm-hmm. right? So one of them announced yesterday, and they all trade down to today. Bank America, actually, because they're going to report Monday, they have two extra days of trading down ahead of their earnings <laughs> when they may trade down on their earnings. I understand why guidance is sort of conservative and... Um, you know, I understand why they're trading poorly. However, 
I like them. I, I have some XLF against my banks. I'm way, way, way longer than the XLF hedge. I bought some back. I feel like they're kind of getting oversold. I feel like net interest margin is good. We know the things that were bad, some of those trading and investment banking and things like that. Goldman had outstanding trading. But I, don't, I kind of think it's getting overdone because people are still employed and I feel like the economy is still moving along. Look, I I think banks will be guilty until proven innocent. We've seen that at different times. They were that way in May, June 2020 as the rest of the market was starting to move. Uh, I think there will be some concern about the consumer, even if the consumer is not there right now. This first glimpse into earnings. And and when when Goldman talks about extraordinary uh, sales and trading, and and, and yes, it was. And I think it was a great environment for a lot of the banks, especially the ones that are well positioned in their secondary markets. But is that sustainable? And that comes with the volatility price. So, uh, again, back to where markets are more broadly. Uh, today, what happened in yields was another, uh, I think, shocking move in the 10-year. I mean, we, we sold off, I don't know, 1.3 points in the 10-year. We got up to 282. Yeah, the short end of the curve also moved higher. So between that and the dollar, it's not boding well to me for multinationals. It's not boding well uh, for folks that are exposed to the cyclicality of the consumer. The banks act horrible. I mean, they should have rallied. No matter what they put up, they should have rallied because they acted so horrible into their prints. The fact that they act this horrible on the way out, I think, is really bad. I think that the way that big cap tech accelerated into the close today was really bad. The way that bludgeon tech, the names that have been going down for months and months, the ones that are down 50, 60, 70 percent, the way they acted today is really bad. The market really feels sick. Again, I think that the S&P and the NASDAQ, they, they, are, they just kind of have the benefit of that concentration. The holiday trading day. You know, I mean, you have to you have to point some of that. I mean, the volume was 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 like one third of what it should have been. Yeah, I, I'm not to take, to take Apple down three percent and close it on the lows. I mean, uh, that's real action, you know. And, and I'll just yeah, say, so I just think ball. that everything that I'm looking at is bad. The things that acted well today are the things that are deemed to be defensive. You have the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield uh, closing at the, the highest level, like you just said, Tim. And you know, since 2019, it doesn't feel good. The glass half full, though, look at all of this sky, because that's what I like to do, is um, that it's an even better setup, particularly for big tech, to have this sort of, uh, you know, work down in shares ahead of their reports. I think that's exactly what you want to see if you want to be bullish for this back half of this year, which, by the way, I am. You want to see these things sell off in a meaningful fashion and flush some of this, you know, exuberance out of the names. I will tell you, though, that the bond market's broken. I've said it many times. I'll say it again. It's absolutely broken. There's no way, again, in my opinion, the 10-year yield should go from 281 down to 26, up to 285, all in the course of four trading days. It's absolutely broken, and the market's trying to figure it out or trying to come to grips with it. What's working? What's been working? I mean, OIH very quietly traded down to that 245-ish support level, now north of 300, in my opinion, will continue to go higher. We've mentioned these names. Look at the move in Caterpillar today. Even more so, look at the move in Deer and Company, an all-time high, and still a very reasonable valuation. Those things work. Those will continue to work and throw miners in as well. So basically everything related to inflation, energy inflation, grain inflation, I mean, you name it, every, everything that touches crops and things that you dig out of the ground, those things go higher, I well, guess. Well, if you think about how we all complained for a while, the, the multiples that were going on, even in, in the defensive big cap techs and the ones that had better multiples relative to others, but, but that, think about how much tech overshot. Well, look at Staples, look at healthcare, uh, and, and look at some of these names. They will, cont- and it's okay for them to overshoot too. So I, I would agree. There are parts of this market that I don't see giving up the ghost. The move in energy, uh, again, outperforming the underlying uh, commodity is very impressive. And all you need to do 
do or look at rig counts and, and read from companies what's going on in terms of the investment that they're making in, in, in their businesses. And they can at this point because their balance sheets aren't levered. Uh, those trades, I think, are just getting going. All right, coming up, Nike shares swooshing higher. Should you just do it and buy this name or just debate that ahead? Up next, shares of Taiwan Semi getting chipped. Is this a buying opportunity or should buyers beware? We got that trade next. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Taiwan Semiconductor tanking. The chip name out with earnings today, beating on the top and the bottom lines, raising outlook. Um, it's what the company said, Guy, that investors didn't like. Yesterday you said this is the one to watch. This is going to be very important for the whole, uh, the whole sector. Yeah, and if you told me what that second quarter guidance was going to be, I'd be like, that's great news. Semi should explode off of TSM. And that, once again, proven that if you have a little information, it's a dangerous thing. I thought the second quarter guide was really good. I'm not quite sure what the street is looking at, but I'll let price determine that. So you wonder, how does that auger from names that are far more expensive? I mean, Dan will tell you correctly that TSM is not an expensive stock, yet it trades like it's very expensive stock. It means, in my opinion, it's going to drag down some of these other higher valuation semi-names. I thought the comment about um, their end users potentially over-ordering Right now, during the chip shortage, was sort of a, a negative thing because that implies that the pendulum is going to swing the other way. They're going to be overstocked, and there's basically pull forward here, Tim, in terms of order. Well, and, and the increased importance on the PC for, for some of these chip companies, especially ones that have a lot of exposure there, and, and how long that can last, again, I, I'm just not sure. So uh, back to the charts and, and back to the sector, which I still, for until otherwise, is the most important chart for the sector or the, the SMH, you know, you're, you're right back to those lows um, that we set. And, and it closed on the lows. And if you look at the underperformance to the overall market, it's been shocking. It's been about 11 percent to the S&P during this time. So um, you go into a long holiday weekend with with no technical support here. Uh, one one move lower. Yeah. And I'll just say this. I mean, you know, Apple, 25 percent customer, Taiwan Semi. So mm-hmm. Guy just said he thought the guidance was pretty good. So now that guidance is in Apple sentiment. Apple is still well above that 150 level that it bounced from when it just got to 180. It's coming back a little bit here. So I think that's the one to really watch. If you if last night it was to watch Taiwan Semi, we know that we're going to get Apple in a week and a half. And I just think if you have a guide down there, um, you know, for Apple, like for Apple I, I just think the, the rest of large cap tech gets sure. penalized. And again, we've said this again and again. Again and again, here's a stock on this year is expected to do, um, you know, mid to high single digits earnings and sales growth is trading 27 times. You can do the math versus where the S&P is trading about 18 and a half times. It's really expensive. So I, I, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's the shoe to drop. Maybe a couple other mega cap techs. I mean, every day that Shanghai remains locked down is a bad one. I mean, I read a stat today. This is, a, you know, according to a study, 87 of the top 100 cities by GDP in China have some sort of COVID restrictions in place right now. Of the top cities by GDP, that's a major market for Apple, Karen. Those people who it are is. locked down, they're not buying iPhones or AirPods, tell you that much. Right. That is true. I mean, it, it has, there's a lot of implications from that, right? The supply chain not getting right. any better. So that's bad. And they're not, you know, they're home and they're not buying and uh, making less money or no money. There's that as well. In addition, though, there is, is this going to be something that really helps inflation kind of peak because you have the oil demand, all demand 
from China getting, you know, crushed with everybody at home. I haven't seen that as much. I would have thought we would have seen that more in oil, and we haven't. So I don't know. We'll, we'll get to Nike in a bit, but I feel like that's part of the story as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, we got some news here. Twitter shares are adding to gains in the after-hours session. Let's take a look at the chart here. The company is holding its all-hands-on-deck meeting. CEO Parag Agarwal uh, reportedly telling employees that the board is evaluating Elon Musk's offer for the company, but that they are, quote, not held hostage by the bid. I'm not sure that's not anything mm-hmm. we didn't know already, but that's what he actually elaborated to the staff at this moment. We also have the New York Post um, article reporting that Toma Bravo is preparing a bid for Twitter. Um, so we are seeing shares move higher. We just wanted to bring that to your attention. Coming up, slam dunk trading shares in Nike running higher, and that had options traders lacing up for even more gains ahead. We'll tell you how they're trading it next. And April is Financial Literacy Month. Here's our own Karen Feinerman no. on how financial literacy impacts the economy. Financial literacy is so important to the overall U.S. economy and development because we're all players in that economy. And if we don't even speak the language, then how can we help develop that economy and develop ourselves and our own role in it? Welcome back to Fast Money. Peloton hitting the skids, falling about 5%. The move comes after the company cut prices for its bike and treads. Um, but hiked subscription fees for the first time ever. It's all-access membership going up by almost $13 to 44 from 39 Peloton sending a letter to members saying the price is going up because members are getting so much new content and many new features. Um, I think it's 13%, not 13. I mean, f- bucks. Uh, bucks, yes. 13% bucks. higher, no? 39 to 44. 39 Even a guy can do that math. Yeah, that's, that's your 13%. So... So the, the, the key here really is for many people, I think for the analyst community, it was the subscription service that was where you had at least some support for the stock. Um, the fact that they're cutting the hardware dynamics. I mean, a, a lot of the reactions on the street today, whether you believe them or not, saw this as positive news. Stock, you know, that, that may tell you all you need to know. I mean, it's, it's almost an acknowledgement, Guy, that they're not selling that, that their growth is not coming from the sale of new equipment. But their growth is going to come from further monetization of what they have. Which, if you go back, way back, when they wanted to be a content company, everybody's right. all giddy about it. I mean, that's really the, that's the, right, that's the format, that's the market that they wanted to be in in the first place, and now they seemingly are getting punished for it. They Basically, right now, Peloton's in the penalty box. I think in March of 2020, traded like a 19 handle. It feels like it's going to do a round trip to the entire move to me. To me, it's interesting the stock was down, but that doesn't mean it wasn't the right move. Right. I think it was the right move. Yeah. I think it's got to, you know, there's some hard moves he's got to make, and cutting the price seems to be way better than cutting the subscription price. But it, if you're giving away the hardware, aren't you inducing people to take on the subscription? I mean, like, that to me actually does make sense. That is a growth move, isn't it? I mean, if the subscription is the stickier it's, part of the revenue the, model. It's the growth of the higher margin part of the I mean, it's the growth for the of the better part of the If you yeah, handed me one of those space, bikes, absolutely. I might try it for a few months. And I, I, I just yeah. feel like that is a way to jumpstart growth. And, and users are very engaged, right? They're very, it's I don't very ask engaged. Guy. Guy, base. how are you? I mean, are you on the Peloton right guy? now. What, what you, you don't know is he is sitting <laughs> on the Peloton right, right. now doing a low-impact <laughs> ride. Am I right? 
Slag it down. Yeah. Right. Now he's got extraordinarily the, he's got the bike low impact. But, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, let's check out shares of Nike uh, getting slam dunk today. The retailer jumping more than 5% after some bullish calls. The move was uh, had option traders lacing up for even more gains. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah. So Nike saw well over two times the average daily options volume traded today. Calls outpaced puts by almost three to one. And the activity that caught my eye was the September 135 calls. We saw institutional buyers of these of these things. There were blocks of 3000 contracts, ultimately eleven and a half thousand traded all day. Those were trading for just under eight dollars. Buyers of those calls are betting that Nike can go above that 135 strike price by at least the nearly eight dollars that they paid. That would put it above 143, which actually seems like a relatively modest goal when you put it into the context of where Nike has been only within the last couple of months. And actually, compared to the five of you, if anybody needs a Peloton, it's almost certainly me. And I've got room for one back there. If they're going to give them out for free, I'll give it a try, too. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Thank you, Mike. Mike Coe. Um, Karen, you're mentioning Nike and and what they could say about China. I mean, this that Nike has been able to sort of navigate, has been giving us a read very early on right. in the supply chain. Well, it was interesting, J.P. Morgan piece coming up, I, I'm saying better, better sequential, so that would be good. Um, I'd be a little bit surprised if it was very good, mm-hmm. although I'm wondering, why are they saying that? They must have a feel from, from Nike that that is so. How, Nike's a fantastic company. However, at this price, I feel like a lot of good news is already priced in, and I wouldn't short it, but I can't be long at this price. They have been this harbinger in terms of what we've been seeing in terms yeah. of supply chain, as you said. And, and so everything they said is that they've got, they've got manufacturing going full bore right now. It seems to run contrary to the same news we're announcing today on the rest of, the China, of China on the lockdowns. Um, it gets back to what you're willing to pay for Nike and consumer discretionary in this environment. I, I think their margins continue to get pressure. I, I don't see how their margins hold up here, even though the DTC is a big part of the story. I'm a Nike shareholder. I'm not running for the door, um, but I think this is a sideways trade. Guy, um, Nike trades at a higher forward PE than Apple. Would you rather? Ooh. Ooh. Hmm. Whoa. With bike shorts on. I'd, you know, I, I'm going to get I'm going to get in trouble for this one. I think I'd rather Nike, quite frankly. I mean, mm-hmm. Nike's trading about 29 times next year's numbers. You write it trades at a premium to Apple. But the Taiwan semi news to dance point scares me a little bit. And maybe Apple's due for a little bit of pullback. You've seen the pullback already in Nike valuation notwithstanding. So in this high end game of would you rather it's NKE. All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, we're digging into the Elon empire. Do you know how many companies he is currently running? How many other big ideas he's dreaming up without Twitter taking so much space up in his brain? We'll go inside the mind of Musk after the break when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CFO of Zoom. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now at CNBC.com slash join the club or by using the QR code on your screen. Back to today's battle royale. Elon Musk's fight for Twitter and the potential impact it could have on the growing empire he is building. CNBC's Phil LeBeau has a breakdown of all that is currently under Elon's umbrella, all the thoughts in his head, the things that he intends on doing. Phil, <laughs> take you it away. You think I know what's in Elon's head? Nobody knows what's in Elon's head, Melissa. I've heard this suggestion today, oh, he'll be too distracted to run Tesla if he's also running Twitter. Let's take a look at Elon's empire and 
if you think he's distracted right now, he's added things over the years, and he keeps on growing, and he keeps on having success. Starting first off with Tesla, I am showing you the stock back to when he was part of the IPO in 2010. I was there at the NASDAQ that day. We interviewed him. He talked about having this dream of growing the EV business. Since then, the stock is up more than 21,000 percent. Why? Take a look at the uh, Tesla sales, annual deliveries, and how they've grown. This year, they're expected to hit 1.47 million. So he's CEO of Tesla, but he's also the chairman of SpaceX. He started SpaceX back in 2002. I remember 15 years ago when people were like, yeah, he's off playing with his rockets in the desert. No longer are people saying that the valuation for SpaceX $100 billion. That's the estimate right now. What about the Boring Company? Started it in 2016. We were out in Los Angeles when people were running around with flamethrowers saying he's going to solve traffic problems. Hasn't really happened. They've got one tunnel that opened last year uh, in Las Vegas. It basically has Teslas going from one uh, part of Vegas to another. Boring Company has not exactly panned out. And then he's got a bunch of other interests that are out there. There's Neuralink. You don't hear him talk about that very much. Dogecoin, crypto. He likes to talk about that on Twitter. And then finally, if his other interests, it's AI development, humanoid robots, things like that. So, Melissa, I hear this suggestion all the time. Oh, he'll be too distracted. Tesla is going to suffer if he's running Twitter. Look, could that possibly happen? Yes, but I would argue that if you talk to people who have worked for Elon Musk, they all say the same thing. Extremely demanding. Demanding to the point that it can drive some people nuts. But at the same time, he gets performance because he sets goals and targets, and he says, why don't we do it this way? And a lot of times, they ultimately do succeed. Sometimes they don't, but a lot of times they do. There are also sorts of these other crazy things. I don't want to say crazy, but like the, the notion that Tesla should have a nickel mine or that Tesla has a patent for lithium right. extraction. I mean, there are all these things that we don't even, you know, bring to the surface, but they are they're in the works. They're rattling around his head. They are things that he's working on simultaneously. Things that may pan out or may not pan out. Look. Full self-driving is a perfect example. He has said for years, oh, this year we're going to have full self-driving. We're going to release the full beta. You'll see it all over the place. And it hasn't panned out yet. I don't know if you can criticize him for that, uh, but you can say that he throws out these grandiose plans. As you said earlier, Melissa, he likes to tackle the big problems. And with Twitter, what would he be tackling? Social media. Can the world benefit from social media in an open forum the way he wants it to be an open forum. That's a huge question. Yeah. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. You bet. So maybe he does have the mind space to deal with Twitter, um, but will he actually get a hold, get control of the company? And, Karen, I guess that's sort of the next question here as we sort of see the headlines about the potential Toma Bravo uh, bid. What would another bidder have to do to actually have the superior bid in this case? They would have to bid more than Elon. They would have to bid 55-20 or more. They could match it or more. The board can say no. The board can definitely, I think they'll put in a pill. They're allowed to say no. But what they can't do is say yes to one bidder at a lower price and no to Musk at a higher price. So they have to come in at least that much. For a private equity bidder, it just seems like a really giant equity ticket to write. You can't lever this thing up in a huge way. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, who knows? We might hear all kinds of names. But right now, it's, it's Elon's to buy if he wants it. Unless the company says no, fifty-four twenty. Yeah. Enough. Let's say the CEO of, of let's say the board gets the ability to put in a, a poison pill, and they say no. They all of a sudden, Dan, have this 
really urgent mandate to come up with something because the only reason why we saw the stock price get goosed is because Elon Musk got involved. This is a company that a couple months ago knows that all the technological issues they have and all the issues about growth and they announced a multi-billion dollar share buyback. Okay, I'm just telling that's the management that you're dealing with here. And that was a new CEO. This wasn't Tim Cook taking over Apple 10 years ago and saying, hey, we generate so much cash, we're going to give it back. Or Sundar Pichai or Satya Nadella, who did all those sorts of things. So to me, sold to you. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Guy. Halliburton into earnings next week. Tim. Jets ETF. We heard from Delta pre-pandemic exceeding revenues. It's time for the airline industry to break out. Karen. Yeah, I was thinking, how can I piss off Dan and do something what? that I think is the right oh, trade? Good luck with that. To buy XLF. <laughs> I think it's kind of overdone here. So Monday, that's what I'll be looking to do. Dan, are you pissed off? A little. I mean, I think the banks are going lower. But I also see what guys says from a tactical standpoint with a Twitter. I just wouldn't be buying it here. It's up a couple bucks in the aftermarket. I'd be a seller. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here Monday at 5. Have a great Passover, great Easter, great weekend. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.